Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church. Uh, but I'm excited about this message today. I want to jump right into it. I feel with all my heart that the message today has the potential to really set someone free today. I believe that there's something that the Lord is going to communicate today. It's not about what I want to talk about. It's about what the Holy Spirit wants to communicate. And I have a strong sense that the Lord wants to speak directly to your spirit today. Would you just open up your heart like this? Just open your heart up. Say, Father, would you speak to me? Here I am. Send me. Speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been in the middle of a series called Because I Said So. And last uh, week, Stephen Washington spoke, did a fantastic job. The week before I started this series, I thought I was going to wrap it up today, but the Lord has given me a whole new message for next week uh, that I can't rush through. I've got to make sure that I deliver this. So the finale of this message will be next week. You will not want to miss that. Uh, Today, as we dive into this this idea, because I said so, we discussed last week that that's even though that's a phrase that is irritating to hear in our lives, especially when we were children, but then we all end up using it on our own children at some point in time. But it's a phrase that is so powerful when it comes to our relationship with God, because there are so many things that God doesn't explain to us at the time, sometimes simply because we just can't handle it yet. And when we get to heaven, we'll have some conversations and we'll understand things from his perspective. But sometimes when it comes to God, we truly have to obey just because he said so. Now, I don't want to lead you down a false path that you can't ask God questions because I think that's one of the most fundamental and important stages of your spiritual development. See, Jesus said that we should have faith like a child and children ask questions, lots of them, right? So it's important that we understand that it's okay for us with our childlike faith to ask God questions, and he will answer those questions. But I want to encourage you to ask the right type of question. What do I mean by that? The right type of question is not a why question. Because why is a a rabbit hole that many times we can never get the answer for. What I've learned is the question I'm supposed to ask oftentimes is, Father, what do you want me to learn from this? You may never know why certain things happen. But Father, what do you want me to learn from this? See, we may never know why our nation is in the position it's in right now. Asking why will drive you nuts. But Father, what do you want to do in us? How do you want to shape us? What do you want to teach us through 2020, the year of the devil? Some years are the year of our Lord. This one feels like the year of the devil, right? But it is still the year of our Lord. He's still in control. Last week, we talked about how God's word is the rock 
that we build our lives on. We don't want to build our life on the sand of opinions that we are inundated with. We want to build our life on the rock of Jesus's word. And we want to make sure that we are both hearers of his word and doers of his word. Today, I want to begin to move into the idea not only of his word being our rock, but his word being our bread. Jesus spoke in Luke chapter 4. He was being tempted by the devil. One of the great things about our faith in Jesus Christ is that we have faith in someone who knows what it is to be human and to suffer through humanity and, and endure temptation. Scripture says of Jesus that he was tempted in every single way. So he can relate to us in every single way. And in this specific instance, he was being tempted by the devil himself, not a low-level imp, not one of the lower ranks of the enemy's military, but by the devil himself. And the enemy was tempting him to turn stones into bread because he had not eaten in 40 days. And he was hungry. And so it was a genuine temptation to do something about your current situation. So many times we want to take the wheel ourselves and jump into the driver's seat of our lives ourselves instead of singing that Carrie Underwood song and letting Jesus be the pilot and we're the co-pilot, right? We got to let him be in control. So Jesus' response to Satan was, you know this one, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. Incredible wisdom there we'll, we'll dive into as we move forward in this. A second instance I want to remind you of is a time where Jesus was with his disciples and they had been ministering and it was lunchtime. And his disciples were like, Jesus, we're going to go run over to In-N-Out. We're going to grab something. Uh, what do you want? You want the, the protein? Whatever. I mean, just either getting his order. Well, Jesus is sitting there at a well, and he's watching the people come by. And one by one, two by two, they come by. He doesn't say a word to anything until one specific woman comes by, and Jesus starts a conversation with her. And he begins to ask her questions, and she gets offended at him and doesn't know why he's talking to her. And then he says some things that were kind of uh, thought-provoking to her. And she, it's an interesting story that I would encourage you to look up, the story where Jesus spoke to the woman at the well. She was a very influential woman. She was known around town, and not for good reasons. But Jesus saw something in her, and he spoke prophetically what the Lord was revealing, what God had revealed to his spirit about this woman, and she recognized that he was the Messiah, and she put her faith in Jesus, and it was the first time in history that Samaritans, who were half-breeds, they were looked down upon by Jews because they were only half-Jew and half uh, Canaanite, and they intermixed the religion of the Jews with the religion of the Canaanite people, and they were seen as despicable half-breeds, not the right race. So the story is actually a story of a racism schism that was inside of that culture, and Jesus addressing it directly. And in this specific story, the, the disciples come back up, and they see Jesus talking to a woman and it's funny to me because they're like, dude, he's talking to a girl. I mean, that's literally, and apparently she was a looker because she'd had five husbands. That doesn't just happen, y'all. She was working on her sixth. 
She, she was a looker. The disciples were like, Jesus is talking to that fine girl. What's he up to? And Jesus was ministering to her. And, he, and they, said, they said, Rabbi, you need to eat something. It's lunchtime. And Jesus says this. He says, I have food that you know nothing about, that you know not of. What's he talking about? Did somebody bring him lunch? We told him we were getting him lunch. What's, what's, I mean, he said, what's going on here? He said, my food is to do the will of my father who sent me. Jesus is describing in multiple settings that there is a type of food, a type of fuel, a bread for life that we, if we're not careful, can miss out on because we're so focused on the natural situation the natural circumstances. Can I tell you, there are a whole lot of Christians that are way too caught up in the natural situations, in the natural circumstances, with natural mindsets and natural opinions, and are not seeking truly and hearing truly what God is up to in the midst of all this chaos, because he's letting the storm rage. And we as believers have to be more concerned with hearing his voice in the midst of the storm than we are with forming our own opinions and making those opinions heard. I love bread. Bread makes me so happy. I, I, you know... The smell, I have childhood memories. My mom used to make this homemade sourdough bread and it would come out of the oven just so hot and she would slice it and we would just put the butter, like cold butter on it and the butter would just melt. Oh my God, bread is so, but every diet you go on, what do they say? Oh, bread, it's the devil. That is the devil. God loves bread. You know the best part about bread? Gluten. The gooey part, man, this gluten disease is from the devil. It is not the Lord's will. In Jesus' name, we cast out gluten allergies and all this. That is not God's will. In Jesus' name, because bread is good. I want a shirt that says, I heart gluten. I really want one. Somebody that makes t-shirts, make one for me. I would wear it all the time. It's so good. Bread makes us happy, right? You ever go to, to a great Italian restaurant and they bring out that bread and it's hot and, and, and it's good and then they have the oil and the herbs and you're dipping it and you ordered something else that was full of bread <laughs> and by the time your meal bread comes, you're already full on bread. How about Mexican food? I can't not eat tortilla chips. That's the tortillas are the bread of that, of that, of that food, right? And so you're just filling up and, and, and you're like, these chips, and you can always tell if a Mexican restaurant is good by the chips and salsa. If you do not pass the chips and salsa test, exit. It's not going to be good. Oh my gosh. If they bring out the on the border chips and just dump, come on. And some of you guys might like on the border. That's fine. That's all right. But like those homemade chips, man. Oh my gosh. It's just nothing like it. Tortillas and, man, I got a friend named Phil. Phil may be watching today. Phil is like, man, I will eat 
anything if it's on a tortilla. Anything in the world. I thought that too, and then I had my friend Abel took me to a place to get tacos, and he called them lingua tacos. Some of y'all like that stuff. It's cow tongue. I was okay until I saw how they cooked it. That sucker's this long. (laughs) It's just freaky, man. It's freaky. See, bread is a super fuel. It's a super fuel. Uh, in, in, in college, I took a class on nutrition, and they, they taught us about bread and what makes bread so powerful and why it causes people to gain weight is because it, it's literally like this much grain and seeds crushed down, and it's like all of this nutrients crushed down into a small, compact package, and it's literally a super carb or a super fuel. And there's symbolism of bread all through Scripture. See, if you're, if you're eating too much bread in the natural and you're not active enough, you're going to get fluffy. <laughs> For example, there was a time when I was marathon training that I had to eat bread. They would call it carbo-loading. Loading on carbs, it was the most wonderful thing. I run so that I can eat. That is my philosophy. And the best, one of my best memories was running the New York Marathon. And when you run a marathon, you're going to burn around 4,000 calories during the race. And so you have to, most people eat 18 to 2,500 is the normal diet of calories. Well, in one race, you're burning 4,000. And so obviously you can't consume while you're running they give you these little goo packets, and shit, they're horrible. You're like, just gross. But, but I would pack, on my marathons, I would pack peanut butter and honey sandwiches. And I would keep them in my pocket, and I'd cut them into quarters, because peanut butter and honey makes me happy. It takes me back to being two years old. And my mom would make these peanut butter and honey sandwiches, and I would literally, I'd have it, and I would time it out just right, because when you're running for four hours, you're not happy. Nothing happy about that. So I would see the water about a half a mile away, and I would pull out a little quarter of my peanut butter and honey, and I'm eating, and I'm just having a picnic, and I'm so happy, and I get to the water, and I'd wash it down, and, and then I'd keep running, and that's how I would run marathons is with my wonderful, gooey, sweet bread sandwich. But in New York, when I ran this, the carbo load thing took on a whole nother level because you're in New York City where the best Italian food in the world is. And I'm talking, we carbo loaded for three days. It was unreal how much bread we ate, how full we were, and because we were so active, we stayed lean and didn't get fat. I gotta get more active so I can eat more bread. (laughs) There is in scripture a type of bread that's mentioned. It's in Leviticus 24, the very first place, and it was called the showbread. It was a bread that was holy and consecrated. It was baked for God, and it was these huge pieces, these huge loaves of bread called the showbread because it was on display inside of the holy place. One of the descriptions of that bread 
was they called it the bread of the presence. Guys, this is about to get really good right about now. The bread of the presence. I want to read you the verse. Leviticus 24 verse 2 starts this way. Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to keep the lamps burning continually. This is the lampstand that stands in the tabernacle in front of the inner curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant. Aaron must keep the lamps burning in the Lord's presence all night, or another translation says at all times. This is something for next week that I'll tag back into. It's hugely important. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation. Aaron and the priests must tend to the lamps of the pure gold lampstand continually in the presence of the Lord. You must bake 12 flat loaves of bread from choice flour using four quarts of flour for each loaf. Did you hear that? Four quarts of flour for each loaf. I don't know how many quarts of flour go to a, into a normal loaf of bread, but I'm pretty sure it's not four. This is a massive loaf of bread, huge loaf of bread. And there's 12 of them, and they cover this massive table. Now watch this. You must bake these 12 flat loaves using four quarts. Place the bread before the Lord on the pure gold table and arrange the loaves in two stacks with six loaves in each stack. Put some pure frankincense near each stack to serve as a, represent, as a representative offering, a special gift presented to the Lord. This is God's bread. In his presence, in the holy place, these massive, super, fluffy, incredible loaves. I actually saw some when we were in Israel in the bakeries. They were, I mean, literally, they were like the size of this table. Huge, like, a, like bigger than a pizza, but thick, big, fat, fluffy. The word that Jesus used, and it's in the scriptures in Greek, is artes, artes. And it literally describes this big, fat, fluffy, uh, massive bread that was used for breaking and sharing. It was a massive loaf of bread. And this bread was specific holy. It was an offering to God. God loves bread. And watch this. Every Sabbath, every Saturday, this bread must be laid out before the Lord as a gift from the Israelites. It is an ongoing expression of the eternal covenant. Watch. This bread is a part of the covenant that God has with his people. And the loaves of bread will belong to Aaron and his descendants. Those are the priests of Israel who must eat them in a sacred place for they are most holy. It is the permanent right of the priests to claim this portion of this special gift presented to the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, there is bread in the presence of God. It is. It's not just this historic story. It's an actual thing. A spiritual bread that exists in the presence of God. It represents the communication and the communion that we have with God. It represents his living and loving word for each and every one of us. And it was the portion of the priests. 
It was the portion of the family of God that were the priests that were called to minister to the rest of Israel. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that God has made you kings and priests? God has made you kings and priests. This bread is your portion. It's your sacred right. Look at what Jesus said, Revelations 1, 6. It says, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. And Jesus goes on to say in Revelation 5, 10, that these kings and priests would rule the earth. You have been called by Jesus himself, a king and a priest. And can I tell you, it's not one or the other. You don't get to pick. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not a priest, Joel. I'm a king. You don't get to pick. You know why? Because you're made in Jesus's image. And Jesus is both king of kings and Lord of all and priest most high in the order of Melchizedek. And you, as a descendant of Jesus, you, as an heir of the throne of Jesus, cannot be one or the other. You are both. You're both. You may operate in the business world, and you may carry yourself as a king in the business world, but you're there because there's a priestly anointing on you, and you have an influence from the king of kings, the lord of lords, and the high priest to carry the priestly anointing into that atmosphere. You walk into rooms that I can't walk in. And I may operate vocationally in what is seen as a priestly side but I'm a king too. And I have kingly authority that I walk in as well. We're all both. And there's a portion for all of us that is our divine right. Some of us might be leaving our portion on the table. See, this bread was made every Sabbath. It was made for, for essentially almost like for Sunday service. And there are a lot of people, and look, I'm not trying to work myself out of a job, but there are a lot of people that this is the only bread they eat. Guys, if I had to live on what someone else cooked, ate themselves, digested, processed, prepared again, and then... Guys, there's fresh bread for you. I'm, I'm, I'm honored, I'm grateful that you've chosen this church and you've chosen us to be your pastors and leaders. But if I lead you to think that I'm your access to the bread, I have done a grave disservice for you. Because my greatest joy is to lead you that you can access the throne room of heaven on your own. And you have the same access to the holy of holies that I have. And you can experience the voice of God and the presence of God the same way that I do. How cruel 
and hateful and selfish would I be to join the ranks of so many religious leaders that have come before us that wanted to keep their vocation in order so they built this giant stage and this giant wall and they took the access to the bread away from the people and said, you have to come through me so I feel important so that I can have things. Guys, you have access to the Holy of Holies. When Jesus died, he tore the veil. He rent, he rent the veil. The presence of heaven, God no longer lives in a box. He no longer lives behind a curtain. I honor our Jewish brothers and sisters, and I honor their desire to rebuild the temple and all of that kind of stuff. But you are the temple. You're the temple. And the temple will be rebuilt, and Jesus will return, and there will be an incredible uh, thousand year, all of this stuff is going to happen. Guess what? Heaven is here. We don't go somewhere to heaven. The earth is redesigned and, and turned into heaven, and we live here for eternity. And the whole earth will be like California without the crazy people. <laughs> Just the weather and the ocean and the beach. <laughs> I'm from California originally. That starts to make sense for some people now. <clears throat> He made you a king and a priest. See, the place that David, King David was born, it's a place called Bethlehem. It's the same place that Jesus was born. The word for bread in Hebrew is lechem. The word for house is bet. Bet lechem means the house of bread. This whole thing has been about bread. The bread of his presence. The access that God is giving you directly into the Holy of Holies so that you have access to his voice. See, my favorite, the favorite compliment I ever get as a speaker is when I'm up here speaking and someone rushes up to me afterwards or sends me a message afterwards and says, Joel, you're not gonna believe it, but, but on Tuesday I was praying and the Lord told me exactly what he told you this week. It was the greatest experience I ever had as a young preacher when I would be over in the library at, 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 at American Heritage Academy on the second floor up there with a bunch of scraggly little middle school kids and I'm trying to learn how to preach and kids are flicking stuff and shooting pins across the room and, and I'm just trying to deliver what I felt like I'd heard from the throne that week and then I go into service into the big church, you know, because he got kids church and youth church and then big church and I go into big church where God really speaks. Just the voice of God just speaking in big church. Can I tell you that he speaks in little church? Can I tell you he speaks in the nursery? Can I tell you that those nursery kids have the same access to the Holy Spirit that we do? I would come into big church and all of a sudden our pastor would be speaking on something and I'm blown away because we hadn't spoken, but he's preaching the same scriptures and the same points and the same thing. And the Holy Spirit had told me and the Lord would communicate and say, it's in you, Joel. It's in you. The same anointing, the same access. 
It's in you just because it's a bunch of 12-year-olds that don't bathe or any of that stuff, brush their teeth, and you got to pray for them. And you're like, oh, dear God. Pray for youth ministers, man. Pray for parents of teenagers too. My God, I've got two now. Here's the big question today. Do you see yourself as royalty? Do you see yourself as royalty? Do your behaviors confirm that you carry yourself as royalty? Because if you're royalty, there are certain things that are just below you. They're beneath you. Nothing, nothing more unfitting than royalty digging in the, dar- in the, in the, in the garbage. It's, it's beneath them. And I'm not talking about elitism. I'm not talking about looking down upon anyone. I'm talking about sin lifestyles. There are things that are below you. There are things that if you really knew who you were, you wouldn't even be tempted toward those things. Because they're so beneath you. They're so below you. They're so... There's a sketch on Saturday Night Live. Why am I doing this? And, and, and it's, the one, it's the one where I think it's Jimmy Fallon and he does the whole eh thing, eh. And it's like the stepdad, he's playing a little teenage girl or whatever and, and his stepdad's name is Gara. Like, eh, Gara, it's And there are things in your life that just need to be, yeah. They just need. So I'm not going to, an, undisclo- an undisclosed Scrivener that will remain unnamed, since I'm the only one in the room, you don't know who I'm talking about. <clears throat> when we moved out to the country, I began to talk about, because I was driving out there every day, and I'm overseeing the contractors, and, and I'm just out there making sure everything goes right, because it can go real wrong real quick when you're building, and, 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 and there, there were no restaurants in town, like two in the whole town. There, then there was a Dairy Queen, and then there was a, a little chicken thing, chicken house thing in the truck stop. Yes. And, and I discovered that you could pull up in the drive through window and you could custom order like breakfast from a drive. And I'm, I mean, Flo would be like, you know, how you want those eggs there, honey? And everybody's darling and honey and baby doll and sweetie pie and, and, and sweetie pie, how do you want them eggs done? Well, I, I'd like the, those eggs over medium, please. Three of them with extra crispy bacon and biscuits. And that's what I, and I would order and custom. I'd sit there in the drive-thru window. I'm the only one. It ain't Chick-fil-A. It ain't like there's 42 cars waiting around Dunkin' Donuts. I'm it. Only customer. Homemade country breakfast while I sit there at the drive window talking to Flo. And I began to tell someone in my family about this breakfast and the response was, yeah. I will never eat at a truck stop. It's gross. And then we got moved in out there and you know, you get real hungry and you'll, you'll eat a lot of stuff. And all of a sudden, the truck stop became the number one breakfast spot in town. It's like, oh my God, it's so good. And just whatever. And it used to be, ew. But now it's not anymore. It's, it's always good. I know it's a silly story, and it really is not spiritual on any level. I just was funny in my head, and sometimes you just want to 
tell a funny story. But there have to be things in our life, guys, when we really begin to recognize that we have been seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus on his throne. You share Jesus' throne. You are royalty. And we have to begin to prefer the finest things of the kingdom of heaven over the lowly mess of this world that are simply beneath us. It's beneath us. And we don't look down at people that are still stuck in it. We love them. We give grace to them. We try to live in a way that inspires them and calls them up, draws them up. Because we're not better than anyone else. We've just accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. We're still on a journey just like everybody else. But when you realize that you are both king and priest and you have authority in this earth, you have dominion in this earth, you were born to rule and reign in life as kings by one Christ Jesus, that's in your Bible. You were born to rule and you have access to the bread of heaven. Jesus literally called himself the bread of life. See, we've heard this story about him taking the five loaves and the two fish and turning it into uh, this massive uh, miracle meal. But it's also that same story that afterwards Jesus went off to a different place and the people came and they were following and pressing against against Jesus. And Jesus says, you only want to be around me because I fed you yesterday. You're just, you're just, you're wanting this thing that's transactional. And they said, if you really are God, it wasn't enough that he fed 5,000 people with a lunchbox. If you really are God, do another miraculous work. And Jesus says to them, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us this bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You have access to the bread of heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting is this is also the same passage that Jesus just keeps taking it up. He just keeps, he, he keeps anteing up and finally goes all in and tells him, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot be my disciple. And they all said, yeah. <laughs> and they walked away from him. All these people that were pursuing and pursuing and pursuing him, they were pursuing him for a transaction. They wanted something from him but they didn't want the challenge. They didn't want the sacrifice. They didn't want to lay down things. They didn't, they didn't want to have to go into something deep that was uncomfortable. Just, just give me the bread. Just, just meet my little, my little uh, surface need. Just keep me happy. Make me feel full. Guys, we're being called on a journey. We're being called on a journey as a church. We, we didn't go through what we've gone through with this global pandemic. And in the midst of this time where so many places are falling to pieces, God has given us a territory. We are kings and priests. And he's given us dominion in our city. Years ago, years ago, years ago, I sat on top of a mountain looking out 
out of territory, looking out at the valley below the mountain. It was in Phoenix, and I'd climb this mountain. I'm looking out over the valley, and I was, I was, is, this is 10, 15 years ago. And I'm like, God, will you give me a territory one day? Will you give me a region one day? that you've called me to be a leader and that you, and you've called people to, to link arms with me. Would you give me a territory that, that I can have your spiritual authority and that I can do good in this world? And, and guys, this is that territory. God has given us territory. And, and as we unpack and roll out the vision for you over the weeks to come and you begin to see that this is not, this building is, is a building. This is part of it. It's not all of it. The $2 million that we need to raise over the next year is part of it. It ain't all of it, guys. God's going to use us to do incredible things. He's going to use us and flow through us in amazing ways. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ because of the light that shines in you, because of the ministry that you have because of the offerings that you give. Guys, you understand, it's not about why do we need a building? Why do we need, well, you're gonna find out in a couple of weeks when all of a sudden we try to have church on a Sunday and we can't because the hotel's booked. And we get to have church on a Saturday night instead. Oh, well, that's fine. We can just be online. Can we? Can, can, can we really just, I mean, love you all that are online. That's wonderful. But how about we have a marriage online? How about we raise our kids online? How about the most important things we do in life, we do in life online? You think you're gonna have great intimacy with your wife online? I'll leave that one alone. <laughs> Guys, it's about being together. And you can't raise a great family if you got nowhere to live. So that's why we're gonna have a home. And it's our starter home. It's our first home and it's going to be amazing and we're all going to be a part of it and we're not doing it just for ourselves and you're certainly not doing it for me. We're doing it for the kingdom of heaven. We're doing it because there are generations of families. Guys, if it wasn't for the generations past that sacrificed and gave, if it wasn't for the generations past, none of us would be who we are and have what we have and walk in what we walk in in the wealth of the spiritual heritage that we have if it wasn't for someone else before us that served and gave and preached and spoke and raised up other leaders that leaders would then come into your lives. The most important thing we do as a church is raise up the next generation of spiritual leaders and we can never come to the place. It's such a trap. It's such a trap that we get to a place in our own spiritual maturity and our own ability to have all of these different friends and be really, really, really rich and fat spiritually. And we forget how important a church was to us in a previous season of our life and how it saved our lives and how there are thousands of people out there that don't have that yet. And we have to live not for us. We have to live for the generations that are to come. And we will stand before God for what we do with what he gave us, plain and simple. And so I'm gonna push you. I'm gonna challenge you. I'm gonna challenge me. I'm gonna push me that we live sacrificially as we move forward in this season. And we, and we step up to the plate as kings and priests and recognize that this is our dominion. This is our domain. God has given us a portion of the kingdom where we have authority, where we have influence, where we have a say, where we can make a difference, where we can be the light, where your life can have purpose.
It's bigger than just what you accomplish in, in, in your house and your car and your boats and your 401k and your all. It's way bigger than that, guys. It's about eternity. All of our stuff will go straight to hell. Don't get to take it. It's about eternity. It's about the intimacy that we have with one another, with one another and how we raise up the next generation. And it won't happen unless we take our place as the people of God and we go into the presence of God and we lay claim on that portion of our inheritance, the bread of life. It's not just about praying a cute prayer and giving my life to Jesus. Praying the prayer matters and it counts and it's important, but it's about your daily life accessing the presence of God. If we don't learn to live as the kings and priests that God has called us and designed us to be, we frankly miss the whole point. We've missed the point. It's not about us getting to heaven. It's about us getting on mission and accessing the voice of God, living on the bread of the presence. Jesus, it says in John chapter one, was the word. And then Jesus told us also that he was the bread of life. So if Jesus is the word and Jesus is the bread, then the word is the bread. But it's not just any word. It's the, it's the right now word. Jesus said you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that was written in an ancient book 2,000 years ago. Did he say that? No, he didn't. He said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of my father. There's a fresh process in procession of God's word that still happens. The Bible that we read, massively important because it was that fresh word and it can be that fresh word again. But a Bible verse doesn't become powerful until it comes alive in you. You can memorize them. You, 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 can, you can do sword drills. Some of y'all remember sword drills in children's church. Very important, memorize scripture because you never know when the devil's gonna show up at your house and you need it. But it's not powerful until it comes alive in your heart and proceeds out of your mouth. We fight with prophecy. We wage war with prophecy. The, when it says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, that word is the word rhema. It means the utterance. What God is saying right now it's not about what God said back then. It is, but it isn't. It is, but it isn't. I know that sounds confusing. What he said back then is massively important, but more important is what he said back then and how it fits with what he's saying right now. And if you don't connect with the right now, you're eating stale bread, moldy bread. There's a reason that God in the, with the Israelite camp had them mobile. Didn't let them get settled. Didn't let them get fat. Didn't let them get situated. Anytime the cloud would shift, pack up. Two million people packing up camp and on the move because it was about following the cloud. It was about hearing the voice. It was about staying near to what God is doing right now, not hanging on to what God did 10 and 20 and 15 years ago. What is he saying now? What is he communicating now? That's the bread of life. Read your Bible, love your Bible, memorize your Bible, but let your Bible come alive inside of you and come out of your mouth and become the living word of God that you live and breathe and devour. It will fulfill you, it will satisfy you. 
Next week, I'm going to talk to you about the voice of God. Don't miss it. I'm going to talk about how to understand and recognize the voice of God and to connect into that bread of life and how to know that you're hearing God's voice. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.